Good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us again this morning. Thanks to so many of you who expressed your appreciation for last week to our musicians and to all who were involved. And it was helpful to get some advice, too, because you saw at home how it came across. And we've sought this week to follow some of those recommendations. One thing I'll just remind you, if you've experienced glitching this morning as you've watched, I'd encourage you to uh, to close out of live stream. And when you go back in, uh, don't go live, but back it up maybe two, three, four, five minutes and watch it on a little bit of delay. Uh, we've found that that helps some. Others have found different devices work better. We're all getting used to this. And really, we are all getting used to this strange new normal, at least for the time being. And then, earlier this week, that was all upended when Governor Wolf gave us a new, new normal. You know, as we were talking as pastors on Friday, we felt as if our regular series in 1 John, it, we just needed to press pause on that. And we needed to talk about COVID-19 a little bit and how the Bible is and can renew our thinking on this. You know, in a variety of conversations and in social media posts, it's obvious that our minds are being renewed. And yet, minute by minute, we learn something new about what this virus is doing to life whether it's the fact that we're not watching any sports, we can't do any shopping outside of the necessities, we can't gather, obviously, for our services, but it doesn't even feel like we can gather together with our friends. And so we're going to take a little bit of time this morning just to, to remind ourselves together, even though we're apart, what God has to say about life and how that intersects with this virus that we're experiencing now. You know, it's interesting to realize that we're not the first Christians to be dealing with plague or a pandemic. The first Christians in the early centuries had to deal with the same thing. The plague of Antonine in the second century claimed about five million lives, and Christians lived through that era. Some of them went into eternity. Others served. The plague of Justinian in the 6th century claimed somewhere between 20 and 50 million people when the world's population was only 200 million. We move into the Middle Ages, and in a short span of four years, 200 million passed away from bubonic plague. And then you come to the time of Luther and the Reformation, and the smallpox, excuse me, the, the smallpox epidemic was uh, ravaging at that time. And believers at that time had to think about some of the very same things that we do today. I want to read for you something that Martin Luther wrote to uh, a, a doctor, Dr. John Hess. Luther wrote in a letter, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. 
Luther goes on to write, If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I will not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy. Well, that was Martin Luther's wise, albeit uninspired advice. And we're seeking to be similarly filled with faith and love and yet wise and cautious and prudential. Even believers in the last decade, even in the 21st century, had to deal with pandemic. In 2009, the swine flu uh, was ravaging various parts of our world. It was less contagious, seemingly less deadly. The numbers will not be known for sure until this virus has a little bit more course. But I was reading this week some Christian brothers from Australia as they thought about their own response to the church and pandemic not being able to meet together. Here's the good news, brothers and sisters of Bethel. We are not in this alone. Others have gone before us, and they have seen God's faithfulness through these sorts of situations. And they have learned what it meant to love God more, to trust him more, and to love their neighbor and their own family of God as well. And yet, as we recognize they've gone through this before, our minds race back to our own situations, and understandably so. One of the biggest things that comes to our mind right now are finances. Many of you have work. Many of you are part of industries where you are essential, and the government is allowing you to continue, but many of you don't have work. Many of you have been watching the stock market go up and down, but mostly down, and you're concerned about your finances. All of these things are understandable. All of these things cause us to remember that our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You know, just a little bit ago, Rob prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes we might wonder, where did Jesus get that phrase, our daily bread? Many Bible teachers think that Jesus is referring back to the, the episode, the event in the Old Testament where God provided his people daily bread in the form of manna. Now, many of us know that account, and many of us think, that's awesome. God gave his people manna. And we kind of wonder, uh, what did they think about manna after eating it day in and day out? We kind of look at that manna event and we know God supplied their needs, but we're not really astounded by it. But there's a, a little phrase at the end of Exodus 16 that tells us of the beginning of God providing his people with manna. There's a little phrase in there that's very interesting. It's, it's, it's almost like a footnote. And I know some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I think that as we are contemplating an uncertain financial future, it's so vital for us to be reminded 
that God told his people in Exodus 16 that, that the omer was the 10% of an ephah. And an omer was the allotment or the portion of manna that every person in Israel got every day. Now, why would God put the measurement into the Bible of what he gave his people? I, I think he wants us to realize what he gave to Israel. Every Israelite got an omer. Calculations for the number of Israelites who came out of Egypt range somewhere between two and a half to three million, and in some cases higher than that. The Bible tells us there were 600,000 fighting men. And you figure there were probably a quarter of the population were men of fighting age. So let's just go with two and a half million people. Well, an omer is two liters. So every day, God gave his two and a half million people in the wilderness two liters of manna. That means that every day God supplied five million liters of manna. Five million liters a day sounds like a lot. That means every week there were 35 million liters of manna. You calculate that over a year and there are 1.8 billion, with a B, liters of manna God gives his people. And you realize that God fed his people for 40 years. And you do all the calculation and you get 73 billion liters of manna in 40 years. If you want to convert that into bushel baskets like you fill apples with in the fall, it's four and a half billion bushels of manna. All out of thin air. And Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. I'm the kind of person who wants about a week's worth of bread. I kind of want to know it's taken care of for the foreseeable future. Some of you want a month's worth. And Jesus tells us to pray for a day's worth. And what we find out is that God is not just, not just wanting to give us what we need for the day, but he is beyond capable. Give us this day our daily bread. And as we realize God's promise and his ability to provide, we are thrown back into our own circumstance where, where our work is, is either non-existent or reduced and we're not sure how that's going to take place or we are thinking about our work right now and, and, and we're overworked. Perhaps some of you are not going to see this this morning at, at 10 o'clock, but you're going to see it later on because you were working this morning. Right now in our congregation, we have a wide range of work situations. Some who wish they were working, and they were working just a week ago, and, and some who, because they work in health care, are on call, on the clock, all the time, and others are, are working in support uh, roles, support industries for health care. And, and you don't even go home now. 
And it makes us think about work in a whole new way. A couple weeks ago, we may have grumbled about our job. A couple weeks ago, we may have been contemplating retirement and couldn't wait for it. Now, we look at, in some cases, all this seeming free time. and We think to ourselves, I wish I had something to do. And we're reminded that we were hardwired to work by our Creator who works. And there is fulfillment and there is purpose in that work. Even some of the students who I'm talking to, you've, you've had a great week, lots of video games, lots of free time, lots of sleeping in, but there have been times this week where you felt a little empty, where you felt like, I wish I'd accomplished something today. Evidence that we were made to do stuff. Some of you are filling the time with home projects. Uh, you've been meaning to paint that room or make that repair, and, and so you're, you're working on that. It's funny how uh, this little virus is causing us to think about the most basic aspects of life in entirely novel ways or entirely uh, previously undiscovered ways or, or un thought of ways and at this time it's it's right and wise for us to think about those who are in the hospitals in the nursing homes in senior living facilities in emergency rooms and you are you're the new soldiers on the front lines as we fight an unseen microscopic enemy you're tired You're probably worried or concerned or anxious for your own health. You wonder if you're taking it home to loved ones. Thank you for the work you do. We are praying for you, even as we did this morning in our service. So many people are praying for you at homes, around dinner tables, breakfast tables, maybe during a time of family devotions. Thank you for what you're doing. May God protect you. May God bless you, and may you continue to be a blessing of service and medical wisdom to others. This time of of new work or no work, reduced work, has thrown us into a, a a new state of emotions. Emotions have been uncovered that we didn't necessarily know were there before. For some of us, this new time has put us into a place of real isolation where we may be used to living on our own but now that we can't go out to a restaurant or we can't go out to a business we are very much alone some of us are spending many 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 more hours with our families in the same four walls um in a bit of humor i've i've seen some posts on social media where people have mapped out their travel plans for the weekend and it's a blueprint of their house. (laughs) They're deciding that today I'll go from the bedroom to the kitchen to the living room because that's the only place we feel we can go in some cases. And all of this new strange normal has caused emotions to heighten and come to the surface. Anxiety, isolation, loneliness, 
fear. As we work through all these, that's one of the reasons that we read Psalm 55 this morning, because as we have these emotions um, bouncing around our mind like those ping pong balls in a, in a lottery machine, those emotions need to come out. They need to come out and we need to talk about them. We need to talk about those emotions with the Father of Christ. and We need to talk about those emotions with the body of Christ. Talk about our emotions with the Father of Christ and talk about our emotions with the body of Christ. In the book of Philippians, there's a very interesting set of two verses that come together in a in a, in a very intriguing way. I'm going to read them for you. It's Philippians 4, 13 through 14. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Yet, it was kind of you, Philippians, to share my trouble, writes Paul. You know, I, I think I could summarize accurately that Paul talked to the Father of Christ and got help from the Father of Christ, but he also received help from the body of Christ. How would we talk to the Father of Christ about our emotions in this time? How would we talk to him about about the depressing thoughts that we feel closing in? How, How would we talk to him about feeling trapped in our own home? Let's go back to Psalm 55 and let's read those words again because David gives words to his own thoughts. He he talks to the Father of Christ. So let's read Psalm 55 together. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He speaks honestly and he speaks humbly and he says, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. David is not suppressing his emotions. He's just being honest and open about them with the Lord, and and he, he verbalizes them as he talks to the Father of Christ, and he just says what he's thinking and what he's feeling. Verse four, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fears and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. When we talk to the Father of Christ, as has been said before, He's big enough to throw our emotions on him. He's big enough for us to cast our cares upon him because he's made it his job to care for us. In Psalm 55, David continues to pour out his complaint. And as we get toward the end of the psalm, he says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Talk to the Father of Christ about your emotions. And also, 
as Paul said to the Philippians, he, was, he said it was so kind of them to share in his burden. So we should also, also talk to the body of Christ about our emotions. We, we need to just sometimes pick up the phone and give someone a call and just say, I, I need to talk to somebody. We, we, we need to practice the one another's and, and we need to, um, to not think that God has demanded of us to, to, to carry this all, all on our own. But we reach out, we text and, and we say, hey, so-and-so, I, I need you to pray for me. Hey, so-and-so, can, can you give me a call? Is now a good time? You know, it, it, it takes some humility to, to step out and to ask for help. But the body of Christ is what God has put us into. He's, when he saved us out of our sins and he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light, he also put us into a body and our body parts are connected. And so we, as the body of Christ, are meant to be connected. Reach out and talk to someone. And as we've looked at the book of 1 John, we, we need to be reaching out to others. It is wise and it is obedient for us to be praying about who we should reach out to. Not all of us not any of us actually, can reach out to the whole church. But God in his infinite wisdom and in his capacity to schedule and maneuver and structure, God's Holy Spirit can put just the right people on your heart for you to text or call and just the right people on my heart and just the right people on another believer's heart and our whole church can be cared for. Think about those who live alone, whether they're widows or widowers, whether they're single, whether their spouse's job takes them out of the house for long periods of time. Think about those who have children and younger children and and are all together in the house for 26 hours a day, it feels like. Think about the various needs. And I'll be honest with you, right now in this climate, it feels like social distancing is paralyzing our love because we can't go, we can't do, we can't hold a hand or give a hug or put a hand on a shoulder. But we can still reach out. We can make a phone call and see if there's a, a food delivery we can make. Uh, maybe there's a prescription that needs to be picked up, or, or maybe there's some other bit of, of, uh, of medical or health care that we could pick up from a pharmacy. Our connection as the body of Christ means that we can talk not only to the Father of Christ, but we can also talk to the body of Christ. And at this time, it seems more than any other, it's vital for us to be the body of Christ to be hands and feet where social distancing allows, to be the ears of Christ, the heart of Christ, over a phone and over text. You know, I read a 
a, a wonderful new poem this week written about this very strange situation. I thought I'd read it for you this morning. It's by a writer named Laura Kelly Finucci. And she says, when this is over, may we never again take for granted a handshake with a stranger, full shelves at the store, conversations with neighbors, a crowded theater, Friday night out. May we never take for granted the taste of communion, a routine checkup, the school rush in each morning, coffee with a friend, the stadium roaring, each deep breath, a boring Tuesday, life itself. When this ends, may we find that we have become more like the people we wanted to be, we were called to be, we hoped to be. And may we stay that way, better for each other, because of the worst. As you think about that poignant poem, you realize that so much of that poem circles back to relationships. Yes, we are in much closer relationship with our families that we are living with if we have children in the home. And yet we're also seemingly much further away from the relationships that we would normally otherwise have. Relationships with other singles. Relationship face-to-face, in-person time with others who are widowed or widower, others who are empty nesters. Why do we miss relationships so much? If you think about... eternity past before there was green grass and blue skies and towering mountains and crystal clear lakes before there were twinkling stars or a bright shining sun before there was any of that there was relationship the father the son and the holy spirit forever in the past existed in a relationship of love that didn't need stuff it just contained each other And when the Trinity created you and me, he, they, created us in their image with the capacity for and the desire for relationship. You know, animals have their groupings by instinct, but we as humans have this desire for relationship that we can fulfill and expand we can develop and, and, and contour and shape because we're created in the image of a God who not only has relationship with himself, but has relationship with us, wants relationship with us, goes to great lengths for relationship with us. Perhaps you're listening and watching this morning and you're not a Christian. You don't feel relationship with God. You may wonder, because of isolation you're feeling this week, how you can have a relationship with God. Does God even want a relationship with you? The good news is that He does. He wants a relationship with you so much that 
in spite of your disobedience and my disobedience, he sent Jesus to this earth as 100% God and 100% human to be among us in relationship, to show us what perfect loving relationship looked like and acted like. He sent Jesus to live 100% morally perfect so he could be the sacrifice for our bad relationships. He could be the sacrifice for our ingredients that make up the mix of chaotic relationships. And Jesus died on a cross as the substitute for our sins. And three days later, he rose again, showing that he was, he was powerful over sin, and he was victorious over death, and really making a pathway for us to be in relationship with our creator. This is how important relationship is to God. And this is how important relationship is between us and other people, between us and other believers. And as we think about what we're doing right now, sometimes it feels like we're playing church. We know that as we're in front of cameras, we're not really doing church because church is not simply about songs and readings and message. It's more than that. It's about being physically together. Right now we're doing the best that we can. But I wonder, I wonder when we do come back together and you look across the auditorium at someone you haven't seen for for a month or six weeks or eight weeks, however long this is and however long you feel wise in coming back, I wonder if we'll look at that person singing across the church that we haven't talked to in a long time. I wonder if we'll feel connected to them. I wonder if we'll want to give them a hug, a strong handshake. Because it's in times like these that we realize we were created for relationship. We are recreated in Jesus Christ to do relationship better. And relationship in person is what our church services are really about. And beyond our church services, relationship is how we really live out what it means to be the church. Interesting times to point out just how right God was about relationship. Finally, as we wrap up, we really all want to know what's next. What's next? What's the future? James 4 tells us that God knows the future. We, we as people, make plans for the future. James 4 uh, warns us against presumptively making those plans, but it tells us we should make our plans by saying, if the Lord will. Whether we say it or not, we should think it, and in our hearts we should feel, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And so as we look at COVID-19 and we look at our lives and we look at our portfolios and we look at our bank accounts and we look at our children and our education, 
whether it's in high school or college or elementary school, as we think about our businesses, our small job, our, our small our small businesses, the jobs of the people that we employ, all of these things, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, all of these are under the perfect control of the Lord who wills. And so here is our comfort. There's an old Bible teaching tool called the Heidelberg Catechism. And the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is this. What is our only comfort in life and death? It's a little bit lengthy in its answer and it was meant to be memorized. I want to read it for you. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. But I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil, including viruses, the result of the fall. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is this your comfort in life? You know, one of, our, uh, one of our newly favorite group of hymn writers just released a song this past Sunday, this past week, excuse me. Christ, our hope in life and death. It's not written by one person. It's written by a group of people. Matt Papa, Matt Boswell, Keith and Kristen Getty, Matt Merker, folks who wrote songs like, He Will Hold Me Fast. His mercy is more Christ, our sure and steady anchor. They all collaborated on a song, Christ, our hope in life and death. It's based on that first question from the Heidelberg Catechism. My friends, when we face situations out of control like COVID-19, when life doesn't seem to be making sense, when we start to wonder if things are out of control, when we start to wonder if evil is winning, when we start to wonder if lockdowns have a nefarious purpose, when we start to wonder how this will alter life in the future, we can remember this, that at the worst point in human history, when evil men conspired and schemed, when evil men had a man on the inside of Jesus' group of disciples, when evil men set up kangaroo courts, and when they whipped up a crowd into frenzy, when evil men ignored omens, and when evil men committed the most perverted act of injustice ever known, killing the most innocent man who ever lived, when these evil men thought they had won, they lost. Because God in his determinate foreknowledge had already planned to spin that whole thing around 
and make the greatest injustice, the greatest act of mercy the world has ever known. Paul wrote that if the rulers of this world had known what they were doing, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You and I can rest assured that since, since God took the worst to redeem your soul, that this week and this month and this year, which so many of us just wish would never have started, in all of these times, we have a God that we can forever entrust our souls, our bodies, our finances, our relatives, our minutes, days, and hours too. Talk with the Father of Christ. Talk with the body of Christ. And he will sustain you. Please have a good morning.